0: A Japanese on you. An
1: Hello and welcome to the Good Friends of Jackson Elias. This is a special episode recorded live at the HP Lovecraft Festival Necronomicon 2017. This seminar was chaired by Mike Mason of Chaosium, it featured myself, Paul Fricker, Lynn Hardy, Chris Lackey, and Dan Kramer. The topic of the seminar was Call of Cthulhu, Pulp vs. Purist. The show notes for today's episode and many other episodes about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and other horror gaming can be found at BlasphemousTomes.com. But now, on with the show.
2: Hello and welcome to, this is the panel that is, I haven't got in front of me, but we're calling it Pulp versus Pure. Um, uh, yes, uh, Pulp Cthulhu is a new setting for Call of Cthulhu, the role-playing game, uh, and they've been players to take on larger-than-life heroes to tackle the dark designs of the Cthulhu mythos. Uh, but what is Pulp, and how does it contrast to pure Call of Cthulhu? I am joined by a panel of noted experts (laughs) who will discuss this topic and uh, hopefully also maybe answer a few questions that may arise as we go forward. But uh, uh, with no further ado, let us introduce our wonderful panel of esteemed guests. Uh, If I could start to my far right. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Nicely timed. Uh, And uh, Paul, would you like to introduce yourself and tell people uh, why you're here?
1: Okay, um, so I worked on Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition. Uh, I did some work on uh, Polk Cthulhu as well. Um, I'm one of the hosts of The Good Friends of Jackson Elias, just get that plug in there. Uh, And uh, yeah, I'm a keen Cthulhu gamer, and hope I have something to add to this panel.
2: Oh, could you also also tell us what stance you're taking in the panel today?
1: Well, the only one that matters, the proper... (laughs) The pure version of Call of Cthulhu, the one we all know and love, is like the one true version. Is that? You know, I am to the
2: extreme here, so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lynn.
3: <laughs> Hello, uh, I'm Lynn. Uh, I'm here because, uh, well, Call of Cthulhu was actually the second role-playing game I ever played, um, and after a strange journey through biomedical research and lecturing, I decided to become a full-time writer and... Now Mike gives me stuff to do. So um, apparently I am here to support Pure, mostly to give Paul moral support because he was on his own at the time. Um, (laughs) But we'll see where I end up by the end of the argument.
2: (laughs) And to my far left, Dan. Hi there, I'm Dan.
4: I am one of the hosts of the Miskatonic University podcast. I wrote the uh, little one-page fiction piece in Pulp Cthulhu. And uh, this end of the table, we're doing the pulp side of things, espousing the benefits of being able to wield a tommy gun in each hand.
5: <laughs> I'm Chris Lackey. Wait, I'm going to just introduce myself. I'm doing it. I'm Chris Lackey. I'm the co-host of the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast at H.P.Podcraft.com. And I, uh, am, I, I really believe that Call Cthulhu, at its heart, is a pulp game. I'm not. am not going to just say the pulp version of Call Cthulhu. I'm saying all of Call Cthulhu is pulp, and pulp is just more of what it truly is. That's where I'm going on this.
2: I hear you, and loud, I'm right. Clear. Um, Those of you who don't know, I'm Mike Mason, I'm the line editor for Call of Cthulhu and Paul Cthulhu, so I take no bias in this whatsoever, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I'm here to just uh, moderate, and I have no opinion that counts at all. So uh, I'd like to start, um, I think... um, I think there's some fighting talk been, been said already from, uh, you know, certainly from Mr. Lackey. So I'm going to invite Mr. Lackey to really uh, forward his case about uh, his notion about that all, all Call of Cthulhu gaming is pulp gaming.
5: Well, I want to say that, the, that I believe that the pure ideal of a, a Lovecraft story is that of an intellectual by himself uh, exploring the supernatural and then either running away or just going crazy, or both. And that's, I mean, that's most Lovecraft stories, with a few exceptions, obviously. And if you're trying to be pure Lovecraft and you're uh, role-playing, that's what you would hopefully emulate. But as a role-playing game, that's not fun at all. That's that's interesting to read as a story. It works in that medium. But as a role-playing game, you want a group of people together doing fun stuff, having adventures, I mean, there's a whole chapter on combat mm-hmm. in Call of Cthulhu, the basic Call of Cthulhu. And you're hard-pressed to find combat in any mm-hmm. Lovecraft story. Yeah. I mean, there's a few, but again. So the pulp Cthulhu, I think, takes everything that's great about the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game and just kind of ratches it up a bit and makes it more fun. It gives you all those things you want, cr- camaraderie, uh, adventure, action. Uh, And it also makes your characters, whom you enjoy and love, I believe, that the ones that you're playing, it makes them a little bit more durable. They're going to last throughout most of the story and not die in the first encounter, which is uh, sometimes not very fun. And I think that us as, I'm going to keep going here, I think that as players, we will um, sometimes, uh, and game masters, keepers, we will make those stories more fun even if it's against the rules, like sometimes you fudge rules, or you don't have combat, or you have the monsters do things that don't kill off your characters in the first 20 minutes of the game. Uh, but the mechanics of Pulp, Pulp Cthulhu really make it easier. They, they support the kind of stories that you're trying to tell with the regular Call of Cthulhu role-playing game.
2: Thanks, Chris. Uh, Paul, uh, could I get your retort to that, please?
1: Okay, well I think um, Chris made the point there that <clears throat> that you're hard pressed to find combat in Lovecraft stories. Now Lovecraft wrote stories where you know we as characters are just regular people. And playing the game, you know, we've got 30 years of the Call of Cthulhu game to sort of show, well that kind of works. Uh, so you play a regular person in the real world, you know. The real world, there are monsters, but it's ostensibly the real world setting. And that's something that, as a person, I can relate to. So, you know, I, I can't really imagine myself jumping out the window with a Tommy gun in each hand, but I can imagine, you know, just being a regular guy and being up against slowly increasing threats as I play the game. and. That kind of edgy-seat stuff, that slow build that Call of Cthulhu is known for, that's what you get in the the pure Call of Cthulhu rules.
2: Okay. Lynn, do you want to chime in at this point?
3: (laughs) Oh, What I was going to say to you, Paul, actually, do you think that being English and not having a gun culture, we're more on the sort of slow build, no fighty side (laughs) thing, because we're just not used to having Tommy guns to be able to jump out of windows with?
1: Uh, well, are Americans used to having a tommy gun in each hand? Yes. We, yeah, OK. <laughs> we, we have them in vending machines.
3: There. You can buy tanks at Walmart. <laughs> yeah, I think you is.
2: got your answer there, Paul. Yeah,
1: OK. <laughs> 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 do, well, do I think the gun culture is...? is?
3: Well, no, do you think it's just easier for us as Brits not being used to sort of guns around as a, as a sort of constant? It means that it's, it's more identifiable for us to go with classic, I'm not saying pure, because it's not. Uh, it's impure and horrible and greebly. Um, no, just I think to sort of go with the slow build, avoiding combat, intellectual sort of side of things.
1: I think with the level of threat that you get in Call of Cthulhu, having a, a a pistol or a shotgun or something often isn't that big a deal. So it is when you're on, you know, you're against some human level cultists, that that kind of that kind of level of thing, and it's kind of. You, You might feel somewhat assured having a a firearm, but how far does that get you? Not too far, really.
3: (laughs) I have to admit, in my heart, I am more of a pulp girl. But I didn't want Paul to be on his own. Oh, so. How <laughs> quickly you change! Yeah. No, I, I, was, I, was, I was just trying to be nice, so he wasn't on his own, you know. I, I felt sorry for it. Quick, Dan, stab the knife in Paul. <laughs>
2: and that's the pen on folks. <laughs> Our work is done. So, um, Dan, Dan, t- t- tell me, can, can Paul be horrifying? Can Paul actually be a horror game? I think so,
4: absolutely. In... Basically when you know when we think of the term pulp, there that comes from the magazines that had the, the action adventure stories, but it also included, you know, pulp horror stories and weird tales. The books that most of Lovecrafts came out in were pulps. And so i I I'm with Chris. Any version of the Call of Cthulhu game is pulp. Because it's what it's sourced from, plus, of like you said, the simple fact of well, if you're not uh, your roll versus faint, that's purist. <laughs> and so, I've <sighs> lost my train of thought. <laughs> okay,
2: the, <laughs> I guess. Um, I mean, sort of same question to you, Paul. I mean. A lot of people make the argument that you know, oh, you know, regular Call of Cthulhu is is you know it, it can be you know very gritty, uh, the sort of slow burn, the very can be very dark, uh, and you know, and and often um, sometimes you can you sort of see on forums that people kind of look a bit disdain or talk a little bit disdainly about kind of pulp play in inverted commas because it's not, it's not you know, you can't, you can't be as dark with that. You can't, uh, you can't be as gritty. It's not ultimately as, as horrifying as playing what would be termed, uh, you know, a pure kind of Lovecraftian horror role-playing uh, situation. I mean, do you, do you agree with that or, or do you think there's any, you know, you think yeah, I don't
1: think it's a, it's a different experience. Playing pulp is a very different experience to playing the regular game. So, hence we have two different books, right? Now, I would liken playing the the regular Call of Cthulhu, pure Call of Cthulhu, call it what you will, to, you know, if you're going to go on holiday, this is like you're going to take on the Appalachian Trail, you're going to be yourself against the elements, and you're going to walk for for weeks and weeks, and you're going to meet interesting, maybe interesting people, you're going to experience the world as it is, You know, you're yourself against the elements, maybe there are bears, and maybe you get to uh, (laughs) the end of the trail, and you've lost a limb, maybe. (laughs) Maybe you've gone, you you look like a totally different person, you know, (laughs) because you've gone through two or three characters, but that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but pulp, that's like a trip to Disneyland. That's like, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, yeah, that's fun. Uh, but you've got a you've got a fast pass ticket as well. You don't even have to queue up for it. You just you know you're one of those guys that you've got the the itinerary. You're going to get to this ride at nine a.m. and Then you just walk straight across the park to that one, and you just kind of shortcut all the you know the the stuff that it sounds dull, but actually when you experience it, it gives you space to to chat to your friends and and build it up slowly and experience it. I think. You know, if you just want popcorn and big rides, pulp's your thing.
5: <laughs> so, Chris, can you, can you not do both in a game? You can do both in the game. That's what is great about the, the pulp. Now, we're kind of getting into a conversation about what role playing games should be in, in general. Like, do you, is, it, is it coming up against these challenges and having these characters killed, uh, trying to outthink the GM or outthink the story? Uh, um, I personally don't find that as interesting. I mean, those elements are good, and I think they should be in all games. But I don't find that as interesting as characters and story and having uh, characters that that, as players, as a group, we relate to, that we're into, that we care about. You can have a, a great pulp story and have still have your antiquarian and your librarian and your uh, and your scientist. You don't have to play a a, sci- a spy or a uh, what is it like a two-fisted uh, boxer, whatever you know, those types of things. You can still play those characters within pulp, but for me, the pulp setting seems to be able to facilitate more character, character, personal character story and uh, survivability. So is
2: that because characters have a you know a better chance of surviving in pulp in the back yes. they are they are tougher, tougher. they last longer. Yes, so you've got more chances yeah, to develop. exactly.
5: Them. And I think that uh, that for me, is more engaging and, and fun. Now, I've I played Cthulhu since I was four, 13 years old, I guess. Quite a long time, you know, now 15, that I think so about it's it. so a few years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, we played it pure. We've had it where uh, you know our characters have died in the first 10, 15 minutes of a game, and then you make up a new character. We had a, a, a family. That was our one of our Lyles back there. He knows what I'm talking about. The, yeah, we had a family who had a lot of brothers because once <laughs> once somebody died, another brother came in to take his place. And uh, and that's fun, and I enjoyed that. But as I get older, I find that those... When you play a weekly role-playing game, and that's what most people do, I think, That are not one-shots. One-shots, I think, you can go totally pure, and they're, it's good. But once you're doing a campaign, you want those characters to last because you care about them, and you care about their stories. And pulp... Uh, Facilitates their survival a bit more. I mean, they still get beaten up, and that's good pulp. Like you want your hero, you know, hurt and injured and bloody and a little crazy. I mean, if you look at uh, the Indiana Jones films, that guy is always getting the crap kicked out of him all the time. I and mean, even at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, he doesn't really win. He just kind of doesn't lose, and that's pretty Lovecraftian and, and great, but also pulpy. So uh, I feel like that the pulp aspects of Cthulhu is, is what most people already do and that the, the pulp mechanics uh, just sort of make that a little bit easier to do.
3: But don't you find with Call of Cthulhu there is more of an expectation than there is in other games that you are going to lose characters? People are more accepting of it because it is sort of inbuilt into the, in, into the background setting.
2: Yeah. Do you think that's an historical an historical way that things have been? Because you know, we all hear stories of uh you know, stories of people playing masks or Orient Express where you know it gets to the point where you know your 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 the postman's brother is now suddenly a member of the party because everyone else has died repeatedly. And and as, as Chris mentioned, you're rolling up a new character every session because they're dropping like flies. And at some point during the course of the campaign, the kind of investment buy-in believability plot buy-in has kind of completely evaporated and you're now just kind of going through the motions. You're enjoying it, but the buy-in that you had originally from the session one where you're all geared up and you brought up your character and you're invested in that character and, and, and the campaign has kind of really kind of meta- metamorphosized now to something that's more surface. It, it's less ingrained. And and you know, I often hear a lot of criticism um, of... Uh, of Call of Cthulhu, because of that, that that uh, that you know, the, the the attrition rate for certain campaigns um, doesn't help that kind of regular mm. role-play, as Chris has kind of illustrated. I mean, do you think that is an issue, or do you think that people are happy with that and and happy to just go with it?
3: It's not something I've actually experienced because I think I suspect our keeper was very sweet, and I know I'm a bit soft as a keeper. Um, in letting people get away, and not automatically slaughtering them, unless it's something really entertaining uh, or or particularly comedic way of dying. Um, I have a sick sense of humour. Um, so, it, it, like I said, it's not something I've particularly experienced where we have sort of gone through meat grinder and, and lost a whole load of characters. I suppose it's, it's down to what it is with most role-playing games. It's going to depend on the players that you've got, whether they can cope with that. But, yeah, I can see that that is going to be a problem if you are just literally, oh, you know, here's disposable person, number 36. Okay, have we got number 37 ready just in case? Um, you you are going to lose that engagement. I would have thought anyway.
2: Did you want to jump in there?
1: Yeah, I think with the uh, the pushed rolls and the spending luck, you've got more options now for your characters kind of scraping through. Also, some of those... Kind of meat grinder campaigns that you kind of talk about. I think the you know more the more historic ones from the eighties, they kind of came out of perhaps a more D and D type mindset where there's you know various rooms with monsters, almost you know that that kind of dungeon setup. So there were more regular big threats. I think they were more dangerous. And but as keeper, I mean, I've played you know a lot of those campaigns as a <clears throat> excuse me as a player character. And if the Keeper's kind of creative with, with how they deal with those threats, so it's not always that you, know, you meet some monster and it kills you. Often the monsters in Kula they're intelligent mm. beings. So maybe either you, you go insane and you, you run off and you wake up and you know, you're in a bad situation but you're still alive, or maybe you're taken captive. So there are lots of ways that the Keeper can keep you alive and that's not lessening the threat. Um, You know, we see in a horror movie, we see, you know, the main characters, if they're the ones we're following, they don't die in, like, the first quarter of the film, but horrible things happen to them. They face terrible things and they get in terrible situations, but, you know, they're kept
2: going through to the end. I think there's a, sorry, just to dive in, just to reinforce your point, I think there's a traditional hangover from, kind of, games like Dungeons & Dragons, where it is, you know, it is about, kind of, life and death. Uh, and there's a kind of like a hangover from that into certainly into the early days of Call of Cthulhu, where actually the the way of the way of punishing a player character is death. Where actually the whole genre of horror isn't, although death is a threat, it actually isn't the actual that isn't the thing. It's actually the, the slow build of pain yeah, and disaster. With seventh
1: third, we got some criticism for making it more survivable. It was kind of easier for your characters to survive. Well, yeah, you could. Take it like that, but there's, you know, there's like you say, it's not when you're in the combat. That's not really scary. I mean, it can be, but often it's just you're just doing combat. The scary things is is the other stuff that happens to you.
3: So, do you think sometimes it's a matter of pacing? You think people are a bit over enthusiastic to get the monsters in there, so that it's recognisably and obviously Cthulhu, rather than going for a long slow build. And yeah, and a I threat think minimal to start
1: with. It's, it's being imaginative and creative what you do with what you do with those monsters. They're not just you know they're not just a, a, a combat opportunity. Mm.
2: So Dan, in terms of um, we haven't really because I think this also kind of shifts around the whole idea of campaign and one shot play because I think whilst you can do both with both styles of gaming. Um do you feel that some that pulpo pure suits one or other better or do you not really think it matters?
4: Uh, absolutely. Um I do think that the the more nihilistic easier to die kind of mode that is more what you expect from a one shot. That's in fact I I remember hearing from Sandy, the Sandy Peterson, the man who wrote the game that he thought of this as kind of like a game that makes a nice palate cleanser between your high-adventure type of campaign games. So you're playing D&D for, you know, six months, eight months, then you play some Call of Cthulhu, and and it was almost intended to be one-shot kind of things because it was so easy to, you know, get killed off. And then other people started writing for the game, and next thing you know, we have Masks of Nyarlathotep where now you have, you know, the uh, bellboy from the hotel has to join in. And, and the uh, campaign I should like to point out has uh, great big rocket ships and, spoiler, it, it, like backpack laser cannons. So <laughs> th- we're, uh, we're already out of the whole exactly pure kind of mode there. But yeah, I I do think that the shorter games, you absolutely, you crank that up. And that's what most people expect from a convention game. Is that you, you string things out long enough, you look at your time slot, and then you just kind of keep turning up the heat as you go, and everybody has a good time.
2: So, Chris, I mean, can you play Nihilistic Horror every week?
5: Um... Y- yeah uh you can uh but 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 do you want to and will your players uh thank you for it. yeah keep yeah well they will they keep interest then in i don't i don't think so i think that there's especially if you're doing it right it's gonna it's gonna kind of make you feel bad and i mean seriously i mean that's what that's what horror stories are all about is you you they make you feel creeped out or 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 nihilistic, or just like, wow, everything's terrible. This, my world's bad. Not just this pretend world. Everything is bad. I'm insignificant. I'm going to die. All of my, my family's going to die. My civilization's going to die. It's, it's all meaningless. And that has an impact, I would say, once, maybe twice. But by the third time you're going over this, this theme, it's just like, yeah, okay. It's, why are we even playing this game? It's, there's no point like why stop the monsters why stop all that and to reset with new characters you have to try and take that fresh uh that mindset of like yeah everything has a meaning everything has purpose and then go down that slope where nope everything's totally bs it doesn't make a difference and, and that is it's hard to keep that fresh but when you do a pulp story uh you do have a chance, you know. You can, you know, f- live on to fight another day, and then maybe somebody down the road will pick up the fight where you left off. And it, it's more fun for me. I mean, I, you know, people love all types of d- different things. People have different tastes, but I think the most people that I've I've gamed with over the years, almost everybody, to be honest, uh, like the more pulpy aspects of Call of Cthulhu. And of course, you got to throw in some creepy stuff and some scary stuff and make it hopeless, uh, and even have uh, a TPK every once in a while just to keep people, so people, players know that the threat is legitimate and real. But that also, I mean, I've, se- I've seen people get really bent out of shape when their characters have, have died. And I mean, not so much that I'm older, but definitely when I was younger because they've, you know, wrote pages of character background, they've done drawings, they've been like, oh yeah, I've got this other thing, and, and I've written this short story about my character, and it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> You get shot by a cultist, uh, and it's like, what? He gets shot by a cultist and is dead. That's that's how that story ends. And it's, no, of course you don't want that to happen. That's not your epic story that you're you're telling. And even in a Lovecraft story, people usually don't just die pointlessly. And that can happen in a role playing game. And and I have to say, dude, Seventh Edition does that much better, especially with the luck mechanics and everything. You you can bend the rules just enough to keep your characters around long enough to the end of the story, and I think that's good, but the pulp rules really just kind of facilitate what I think people already do, and I'm not now I'm repeating myself, so. Okay, so, just trying to pick that apart a little bit. It,
2: so, it doesn't really matter whether you're playing regular or pulp Cthulhu in that sense. What, what, what I just heard was, What's really important is knowing when a character's arc is up. When, when is a good point for that character's arc to end, and how will it end? And do you think that is... Um, is, that, um, is that a good GM skill to have? Is that a good skill for a keeper to have, to know when a character's arc is ending, so, so it ends in a satisfactory way for the player as well as the game? What do you think to that, Paul?
1: Yeah, I think that's an interaction between the, the Keeper and the players. Um, as Keeper, I mean, I'm not advocating like fudging roles or anything like that, but it is down to your, your Keeper style, um, the way you run the games. You get the, the text on the page if you run in a written scenario. Uh, but, you know, you interpret that as, as a Keeper. You, you have a lot of creative input into to how you run that. And I think, um, you know, you've been doing some stuff putting in like playtest notes and so on into some of the latest material. Because that, that was a big benefit to me when I was I was running games. You know, you sort of see, you see the text on the page, and you're like, oh, okay. And then you see a playtest note, and then, oh, wait a minute, they did something quite different with, with, with the text here. Oh, I could do something different too. So you've got a lot of licenses keeper to, to run it in a way you want to. And your players, Make their characters. The scenario doesn't really necessarily take their backgrounds into account, but as keeper, you can you can bring in more of okay. that stuff from the from the players have created for their backgrounds and try and weave that into the plot and so on. So that's you know there's a there's a lot to keepering. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and yeah, I think the the difference with pure and pulp, you, you've got that in both. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a, just a different tone, it's a different feel of story.
2: So, obviously, you know, I haven't at all engineered this in any way that we've got opposing sides. So you, 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 you know, you just very naturally told me what you wanted to do um, on the panel. But in reality, um, um, Dan, what, what, I know that generally you, you, you favour pulp style of play more generally. Anyway, that's kind of common knowledge. You've said on the uh, the MU podcast quite a few times. But when you when you when you're thinking about you know when you, it comes at your home group and it's like your turn to run something, um, do you, do you kind of is there a thought process you go through that sort of says I'm gonna I want to run a pulp game or I want to run this you know straightforward Call of Cthulhu game? It's do you make a choice or does anything inform you or? How are you feeling at the time, or? Well, since the Pulp Cthulhu
4: rules have only come out moderately recently, before this point, there really was no option there. It was just basically what type of tone is gonna work for this group. And so it usually falls into a more action-oriented, action-adventure, investigation, Uh, trying to figure out what the bad guys are doing. Is it something we can stop in this way or that? You know, is this going to take a case of dynamite or is it going to take a spell? Is it uh, just that we need to disrupt what they're doing and that'll keep the bad thing from coming through the the big squirrely gate? And it's largely, you know, like like it's been said, it's... Kind of a player uh, keeper dialogue that tells you where that tone's going to sit. You know, your players are, they're a, in fact, a bigger part of the game than it is just the keeper. Because you got just the one person versus, you know, four or five. And so that's got to be a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. My first game. Th- that that's how I thought Call of Cthulhu simply was. Our doctor carried a belt-fed machine gun in the trunk of the car.
2: <laughs> don't, don't all doctors do that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's Lynn, do you... just how things get. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Lynn, do you have any, I mean, you know... Yeah,
3: um, I mean, building on what Dan said and, and what Paul said, when we're writing campaigns, when we're writing scenarios, obviously we're writing for a generic faceless group or we're sort of pitching it towards the people that we play with. And you do have a responsibility as Keeper to tailor that to your group, because you know your players, you know what they're going to enjoy. And it does all come down to, you may well have a group of people who want dark, nihilistic, oh my God, it's all so grim and horrible, um, gaming all the time. Um, And they're not going to enjoy you chucking in the tommy guns and running around screaming and blowing stuff up. so you do have a responsibility as Keeper to make sure that you tailor anything that's written. That's just there as a starting board for you, starting point. Um, I don't like running combat because I tend to get confused who's shooting who. Um, so I, I do like sort of like the character stuff, the, 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 sort of the dark, um, horror, slow build sort of thing. But having said that, I do also really enjoy running pulp games as well. And if I had the time again, if they'd been out... Not that I'm bitter about this or anything, sweetie. But if the pulp rules had been out when I was running Acton Cthulhu, Acton Cthulhu would have been pulp because it works better for that setting. And sometimes you have to take the setting into account too. Um, I don't have the job of upgrading Acton to seventh edition, thankfully, but I may just have to sort of say to them, you might want to put some pulp conversion bits in there too. Um, Because I think it would really work with that. If you're doing that whole gung-ho, fighting the Nazis thing, you kind of do need your Indiana Jones pulp thing on in there. Personally, I like going for a more classic style with 1920s, just because it feels right for me for the period. 30s for pulp. You, I loved it when you actually moved it up ten years, so that you could mm. you had that kind of separation. I thought that was really lovely.
0: Okay.
3: Um, but yeah, you know, I do like silly big action as well, just because most of the people I've ever played with like silly big action too. So I'll happily go either way. I'm I'm a complete whore when it comes to that sort of thing. I'm afraid.
2: <laughs> Fair enough, <laughs> Paul. You were looking like you wanted to say something.
1: Yeah, I think Dan made a point there about the it, the, the keeper versus the players, um, and I think. In pulp, you, you can kind of do. If you do that in pure Call of Cthulhu, you do keeper versus players. The players get squashed. There's no doubt about that. You know, if you set out to kill the players, you can kill them pretty well. I mean, the player characters, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, sorry, I, I kind
1: of give in a, away a few secrets there. Um, so you know, they they're very vulnerable. Uh, there's no concept of challenge rating like you know there has been in some editions of D&D where you kind of scale the monsters to the players so they they survive the, the challenge. Uh, there's no concept of that in in Call of Cthulhu. Uh, with Pulp, you can very much almost take the, the position of being versus the the player characters as as keeper. Uh, when we were you know play testing the rules, uh, Scott and Matt and I were like. Playing uh, Two-headed Serpent, the campaign, we're writing that, and you know we'd be like, huh. so uh, I don't want to give away too many spoilers here, but you know let's, uh, let's let's have some big monster in this scene. Let's let's we never get to use gugs. So let's put a gug in. That that will show them. No, okay, <laughs> yeah, they uh, they did something uh, unspeakable to that. Uh, I can't tell you what happened in Matt's game, that's kind of X-rated. Uh, yeah, so so you can just kind of ramp it up and ramp it up. And you know, even, even if they get killed, they if they got 30 luck points, they can spend those luck points and tell you how... You know, they survived that time they, they fell off the ship and got hit by the propellers at the back of the, the ocean. <laughs> and it uh, seemed like they were dead, but actually, I, I don't know, They they survived. And uh, so uh, that's kind of fun, but it's a very different game. That's what I was going to say. So the whole versus thing. Okay.
2: Okay. Chris, any anything on that? Or Shall I? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair
5: enough.
1: Um, was that a knockout? There was that.
5: I. I'm just, I'm not exactly sure what the final point was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I hadn't spoken.
3: No. I, I think you've okay. I think, I think almost converted him, but he's not prepared to admit
2: it. Okay. So...
0: <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs>
2: so are we saying that the ideal... The ideal, you know, gaming of your regular group is that on whole you um, Am I right to think that on the whole, when you're running a kind of an extended campaign you're you're probably using you know nowadays you're probably using the port rules, and then every now and again you can have a break from that and play some dark nihilistic horror using regular rules is that Is that what you're doing
5: yeah, I think that sounds pretty pretty accurate yeah
1: I think my point was that in classic thulu it's it's not a competition between the, the the players and the keeper. It's more of a, you know, you're kind of working with them. You're trying to sort of build an atmosphere of horror, but you're all kind of working together towards that. In pulp, I can be sort of set, again, almost set myself as keeper against the players.
2: Because the the players have enough tools in their pulp toolkit yeah. to look after themselves yeah. now, in a way. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, whether yeah. you throw them, they can decide whether that, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna use my lookup to get out of this one. Or yeah, yeah I'm gonna die if I want to or whatever and, it is.
1: And well. uh, you know, there's a gug, I'll run up and punch it in the face.
2: <laughs> or Neil Atherton. <Atatet,
1: laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Which is what I did. But
1: anyway, <laughs> that's another story.
2: Um, okay, so what about we? Really, I thought we would get onto comedy much quicker than this actually. So I'm just going to throw it in now. Um, comedy, comedy in horror. Paul, good bad fellows. Comedy. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Chris. Comedy, comedy in Call of Cthulhu. No role has a role. Oh my, it's. It, I think it's incredibly important because uh, for for tension, you have to have a release of tension, and comedy is is uh, a perfect way to do that. So uh, having having characters within the story, I personally feel that the comedy has to be with within the story and with the characters, not outside of the game, because a lot of players like to just you know make jokes about outside. You know, player commentary as opposed to what the players or the characters themselves are actually doing. So, um, in in a horror story, some of my favorite horror films have got funny moments in. I mean, The Thing. You know, like uh, there are a few almost belly laughs in there. You know, when the the head drops off and it rolls. A, you know, you, you know, you got to be effing kidding me. You know, that whole <laughs> stuff. Like, but that, but that is so that says so much about the character and about the situation or it's like, you know, keeps it... it that's, that's the perfect type of comedy that you want in one of these stories where it comes from the situation, it comes from the, the characters. Uh, and it, it's an invaluable tool. I think it should be in every game. That's all. Done. <laughs> Lynn?
3: Yeah, no, I, I have to agree. Um, you do need that release of tension. You need that lightness to just show how dark the darkness really is. Um, I tend to run my little steampunk game an awful lot, and that's got the mechanic where it swings wildly from horrifically bad to superbly good. And that creates a lot of release of tension, when, because, you know, they, they end up, we're probably gonna get into trouble on Sunday for cheering and making too much noise in the gaming room, because whenever a six or a one comes up, they're sort of like, it's, it's that real sort of release for the players and the characters, and it fits the system. Um, and yeah, you do need that, and sometimes when you roll that fumble, that can, that can create the comedy that can create the, oh no but that's just the little release that they need from the situation. Same goes when you roll a critical although it's a lot harder now to get a proper critical it, you horrible mean people <laughs>
2: <laughs> isn't, isn't, it, well, isn't that one of the genius, genius um, moves of Gygax to use dice rather than anything else because dice inherently have their own drama. When you roll the dice, you don't know what you're going to get whatever you're going to get, hopefully it's something dramatic, either bad or good and you know, that kind of thing. What, what, what do you think, Dan? Where does comedy play in your games?
4: Uh, I think very much largely like uh, Chris said, is that the best comedy in a game, I, I really like it whenever it's something organic to the story and the characters, and it's something in-universe. Um, I'm not averse to something that's just reminiscent of something else. And, you know, if somebody asks if you're a god, you say
0: yes.
4: (laughs) But uh, that's just, it it works better within the story. And, you know, almost every horror movie has that whole uh, scale of the tension going up and down and up and down. And because if it stays at a constant high, your audience is going to basically get to a point where it's going to be almost apathy because you're just... Okay, I can only deal with this for so long, and they start to shut down. (laughs) So you got to, you know, let them off, ease off that pressure, let them get a breath, then you can put them back into it. And so yeah, the, the comedy aspect, that can be in any form of game. That really, I don't think, has any specific bias as a original Call of Cthulhu versus Pulp Cthulhu. It's just a different type of humor that may manifest.
2: That's interesting. Paul?
1: Yeah, I think Dan's hit it on the head there. It's, it, it isn't unique to Pulp or Purist. It's, you know, it, it'll be very much down to your group. You know. You, it's not what's on the page in the scenario. That doesn't usually, you know, we don't usually try and write gags in the in the scenarios and campaigns. Um, it'll be how your, how you as keeper and usually the players kind of bounce off that and interact with it, and it's just spontaneous things that that crop up. Uh, sometimes in you know the most brutal or unpleasant of moments, something you know somebody will say something and everybody cracks up, and. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, we we've got together and watched films like, you know, Mum and Dad. That 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 was really brutal. You made me but, do Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've been quoting that for years, but it was like the most unpleasant scene, but it, you know, it just cracks us up. Um so um yeah, I think it it's not unique to any particular game. And probably whatever games you play, you know, you're gonna hit comedy in them. I think sometimes as a keeper, I'm aware that everybody's I mean you can just have a session where everybody's just laughing and having fun Um, and sometimes you just want to sort of try and emphasize the horror and change the tone and it takes someone sometimes to take the lead on that um, to to sort of try and focus that Um, so yeah but that's about kind of managing the tone of the game and sort of you know so can
3: I ask a quick question on that one then has anyone on the panel actually deliberately set out to run a comedy Cthulhu game? And did it work? <laughs> I,
5: I don't think I've ever set out to run any particularly comedic game. I, only games that I can think of that are supposed to be funny in and of themselves are like Paranoia, um, which is supposed to be really silly and the setting is really silly. Uh, to, well, Tune, but... Uh, That's. I mean, that's. It it, to set out and to play something, that's meant to be, funny. It just seems really, hard to do. And I wouldn't. I would never try to attempt that.
1: Yeah. It's like saying someone tell us a joke then. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a joke, Chris. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. You can't force comedy. It's
2: got to be. Yeah. I think you can set up. I think you can write a scenario or run a scenario, that. You can have the intention that it could become humorous Camp in, Sunny? The, in the in the in the right situation with the right group at the right time, God. but it doesn't have to be. Yeah. But Camp Sunny. Camp Sunny could.
1: Is is one that you're putting out for? Like,
2: yeah. Convention
1: play yeah. right? Is that... Yeah.
2: I think maybe it's being run here. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's yeah. quite a
1: lot of humour. There's of a lot of inherent humour
2: in that. That be, but it doesn't have to be humorous. No. It can be played really straight and be quite horrific. But if um, if the mood of the group takes it that way, it will play to that as well. It kind of does a bit of both. But it's not inherently written as a comedy scenario. It's, you know.
5: Yeah, well, it's just a, I think the idea of that, trying to, be, as a keeper, go, I'm gonna do a funny story, it's not up to the keeper. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's the players. Like, they are, they're the ones that have to take whatever you throw at them and, and make it funny. And uh, if you're playing with a group of people that want to be serious, anything that you do that you're attempting to be funny, uh, will just be kind of maybe even horrible. Yeah. Whereas if you go the other way, which happens a lot in games, is you're trying to run a serious game, but the players have decided they want to have fun and they want to make it silly and funny, yeah. and it becomes a comedy. And yeah. it's, it's really in the hands of the whole group. I mean, you can try and guide that tone, but it's, that, that, that's the most control as a keeper you're going to have. Yeah. Unless you want to just you, tell you sat, everybody... The first to, five
2: minutes of the gaming session, when you all turn up, He's reading the group and understanding what what the week has been for everyone around the table. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes you turn up, and even me, as I'm the one running it, is the last thing I want to do is anything too heavy tonight because yeah. I've had a heavy week, and I can tell that everyone else has. And all we want to do is let our hair down, not think too much, and roll some dice and have fun. And then other times we all get in and we appear quite fresh, quite sharp. You're like, yeah, tonight's going to be good because we can actually go deep and we can actually do something much more darker and deeper um, and so it's almost to me sometimes That's why I ask the question can you run it can not games be a bit of both can they not be a bit of pulp a bit of pure a bit of everything I think they can because I think it comes down to what the mood of the group is at the time and I think you know, there's no reason why one session can't feel a bit more pulpy and the next, feel, next it just feels dark and deep and gritty it's still the same game just tones and moods change um, but that's that's just me um so i we've got a bit of uh, we've got about fifteen minutes or so left, so I thought it might be nice to throw it out and if there's any particular questions um, we will try and answer some straight in there yeah. um, just to help a bit. Let me just repeat the question yes. so because uh, I think it's the this is getting recorded, so um the question is um Traditionally, Call of Cthulhu is noted as a, a game that downwards spirals with the characters. That, uh, that when you play, you don't, you don't get to level ten; you actually go down and you know, die a miserable death or something like that. Um, so it's, it's known for a, this downward spiral. Does Pulp kind of counteract that? And do you lose that kind of that, that descent uh, mechanic almost with Pulp Cthulhu?
5: And I was saying, no. I just think it slows it down. Slows it down long enough to, to tell more complex stories and have a little bit deeper characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still happens, and you don't really get. Well, I have to. You, I mean, you wrote it, so do you get more superpowers? I'm interested in what you're saying. But do you get more superpowers as, as you go on? Do you get more um, abilities? And I don't. The,
2: the, the, the option is there. That, that, I mean, Pulp Cthulhu is written as a toolkit it's written to actually bolt on some additional mechanics to Call of Cthulhu that allows you to play with that kind of pulp mindset and so one of those mechanics is some advice if you want to if the the players have done something really good and maybe they've they've completed the campaign and they're still they're still going strong and they want to continue as that group then make you know one of the things in your talk is to say yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna grant you an extra You know, uh, pulp talent Mm -hmm. based on based on what you did in this campaign. You know, maybe you were always picking locks or something, and therefore I'm going to really you know big up your lock picking talent or whatever it may be. Um, But that's not really going to be that's not really a game changing talent. You know, you're quite good at picking locks when that might come up, maybe the once or twice in the next game we play. Um, But um, it's not going to change the game in that way.
5: But the power creep, like you're you're talking about in Dungeons and Dragons, where at level one you're you're menaced by a goblin and level 20, you can kill a dragon unarmed, you know, like it's, it's diff- It's very different. In yeah. in pulp, even if you get a little bit better, it's not really fundamentally changing the character. And, yeah. and, and I just think that pulp makes the survivability a little bit longer. So you can develop the characters a bit, but again, you can do that in basic, the seventh ed rules. Like you just have to be as a keeper and a player, uh, more thoughtful. No, absolutely.
2: I mean, one of the things I kind of wrestled with uh, when I was putting Pulp together was sanity. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, or oh, maybe we need to kind of do something about the sanity mechanism and, and mechanics. And, and, and I kind of thought about it for all, all, of, like, all of 30 seconds. And I decided, no, we don't have to change anything with sanity because if I change thing, anything with sanity, it's no longer Call of Cthulhu. Because Call of Cthulhu, I mean, sanity is fundamentally the core mechanic of Call of Cthulhu, what sets it apart from every other game. Um, So, if I change that, it's suddenly no longer Call of Cthulhu. So, my decision was very clear. It stays the same. The only thing that might change is how much sanity you might take at one point and whether you have any agency to kind of reduce the sanity loss a little bit. And, yeah, there's some, there are potential times when you can reduce sanity a little bit, but, it, but to do so costs you greatly. And, again, that plays to the downward spiral. So, if that helps to answer that.
1: But you ha- we have changed sanity, right?
2: And in so much as.
1: In that you can get insane talents.
2: Oh, yeah, but that's That's, that's, a different, that's not a mechanic of sanity. It's not sanity loss.
1: No, no. That's,
2: that's, that's, what, that's what I meant, yeah you, get, yeah, you can go crazy and yeah. do something. You, know, you have a bit more agency whilst insane, Yeah, that's, that's probably the, the main difference in that sense. Yes, yeah, Brian.
4: Hi, um, yeah, question for the panel. Do um, you think with, with sort of uh, classic Call of Cthulhu and then you get pulp Call of Cthulhu the types of horror might be different? I'm thinking with classic you've got this sort of slow build of dread, whereas with pulp maybe because it's higher flying and more gung-ho it's more sort of sharp shocks. I don't, I don't know if, in other words, can you build that sense of dread if you've got these kind of pulpy heroes, these kind of heroes, can that happen? Or is it more of a kind of bam, bam, sort of they open the door and they see something that's a sharp shock versus this kind of creeping dread because, I don't know, can, can, can pulpy heroes have a sense of dread or, or, or not?
3: Yeah, I'd say pulpy heroes can have a sense of dread. But again, it's, it's what your group enjoys. Yeah, you can certainly go for the bam, 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 bam. Let's punch the gug in the face. Let's go kick that one in the, in the unmentionables. Um, or you can, just because they're capable and tougher and can take that on, doesn't mean to say that they can't experience creeping dread and you do your slow burn build. And then they get to release all that horrible tension at the end by beating seven shades out of whatever it is you throw at them.
2: I've got a... Good illustration of this one, actually. In the pulp book, there's one of the scenarios is um, Pandora's Box, uh, which I won't spoil. But there's a scene in 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 there where the they get to a house and there's they come in, they find the aftermath of something bad has happened, and um, and it's fairly, you know, it's the way it's written is that they kind of just find the aftermath and they live with the consequences and then they move on. When I tend to play, I tend to. Have remnants of what was going on upstairs. So basically, they're downstairs. They're finding some hideously mutilated bodies, and I mentioned there's a sound upstairs. You know, they hear a sort of sound upstairs, and and you know, this is pulp. So you expect them to be. Oh, I run upstairs with the cricket bat out or the Tommy gun, and I you know take on whatever. And they're all like, uh, are "You going? No, I'm not going upstairs. Are you going upstairs? <laughs> So yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly people react as people do. They like they know in their head they know they're playing pulp. But Cthulhu, but in their head they also know they're playing Call the Cthulhu. <laughs> so it kind of works both ways in a way. So yeah, I think I think you can. I think it, I think you can do slow build because it comes down to information. How what in, what information you choose to piecemeal out to the players and how often kind of helps to kind of regulate that burn. Because you can, you know, as Lynn says, you know, throw large chunks quickly at them and build it up and ramp it up quickly, or you can, you know you know, breadcrumb it out a little bit and let, let their own thoughts fill in the blanks for a little while, which is often more scary, so. Uh,
6: first all I really do appreciate you guys offering this panel today. Uh, I've joined in COG through, I think, an edition before this one, since. So, uh, not too new to it. our gaming group. We have four or five RPGs that we play. So, we have this scenario of why well, we won't play that? And uh, Call of Cthulhu is the first one they want to jump to after we had done our, our campaigns. But we have done sessions of Call of Cthulhu, three or four sessions, so maybe may a, a one-shot. I don't, I don't exactly know how you describe that. But uh, our people, we love the classic uh, because we want to play something that is different from the D&D or the Star Wars or the new Star Trek that just came out. They want that more realistic feel of 1920. I tried to move but once, nope, 1920s. <laughs> Not 1940s, 1920s. And so they, our group really loves it. And So Paul, mm-hmm. oh, I would join you on your side. We'll be good here. man. <laughs> 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 oh, hey, fair enough, friend. that's good. I want to the keeper. The keeper is the one who actually makes the story happen. And uh, you get a good keeper who's telling immersive stories, making it interesting. Uh, I can imagine if there's pulp or classic. You know, I I'll read
2: really like that idea, classic. Um, I think it makes the biggest difference at all. But uh, I would go uh, classic every single time. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it, it's whatever is right for you. I mean, it's it's what I put in Pulp at the very site. and said, look, use what of bits of this you want to use. So you wrote
6: the rules for Pulp?
2: Yeah, I, I wrote, yeah, Paul also contributed and Chris did some art. Yeah, this, they're all collaborative affairs, but yeah, yeah. So... But I mean, as it, but also in the same with, in the Call of Cthulhu rulebook. I mean, we put in you've got the main rules chapters, but at the end of each of the rules chapters, you've got a bunch of optional rules because we we know it's a long-standing game and and groups play differently and they all have house rules and they all do different things and they all do it slightly different ways. And we're just trying to try and say, look, here's some standardization, a little bit of standardization to help you to kind of fine-tune the game. For you, how you play, I don't know how you play your game, but here's how you can try, and you know, hopefully this will help you to fine tune it in the way that you find works in your game. You know, and and the same with pulp. So it's all about presenting a toolkit that gives you a baseline to then fiddle with, basically, because we all know <laughs> that role players are fiddlers. They all like to fiddle, and so you know, a- accept and embrace that is what we try to do.
4: Yeah. Uh, you said that Call of Cthulhu has been going on for several years now, oh, many years, uh, and it's a nice change from the regular games such as Dungeons and Dragons and GURPS and that sort of thing. Do you see it now that it's been around so long, having influenced those games, and do you see that it is influencing other? uh games because I know
0: I have friends who are playing more horror-oriented d games and they've and they have a sanity system for it. So do you do you see that trickling over into other gaming
4: systems now that's been
2: going on so long? I I mean I short answer from me, I think yes is the answer Lynn, you, you obviously work on a, quite a range of different sort of games. Do you yeah. see that as well or
3: Yeah I think when you've when you've got sort of say, foundation games, so like games from the very early days of of the the hobby, of course they're going to have an influence because the people who are writing games now, those were the games they played when they were learning their craft. So, yes, whether it's an obvious influence that people are aware of or whether it's a subconscious influence, yeah, I would say you do. Um, For whatever reason, we like scaring ourselves. So, horror games are popular... Obviously, there are lots of games that look at different aspects of horror because maybe Call of Cthulhu doesn't quite hit the spot for that group. But I'm—I don't know whether if we hadn't have had Call of Cthulhu, we would have had as many horror games or as many variations. Um, and because it has got that very different mindset to the Ugh, kill, mash um, of your sort of your standard dungeon crawl, it—I think it gave people the freedom to go and try different things in role-playing. The fact that it didn't have to just be hitting things, that you could start exploring on a more emotional level and a more visceral level.
5: Yeah. Well, I, these, uh, Dungeons & Dragons came out of wargaming. Like, oh. That's what it was. It was a, a simulation. It was like, to, well, if we have these types of characters in this setting, we're going to use these, these rules and these dice to try and create a very realistic within-the-setting uh, scenario. It wasn't so much about storytelling necessarily. And I think when Cthulhu came out in 81, -hmm. 81, uh, that it was the first time that it wasn't so much about uh, these battles, these fights with monsters, with magic and having these things. It was about a mystery and solving a mystery and having those threats. And I I think that Call of Cthulhu of one of those first early games that showed you can do something different, and that it's more about story, and then once that happened, people go, oh wait, let's focus more on these characters, let's focus more on on these elements and these ideas, that it's not just about uh, uh, creating a simulation. Now, I think a lot of people still like that aspect of role-playing games, they like it feeling real and not knowing, that's why dice are there. You don't know, nobody knows the table, how it's gonna turn out. And you can try and manipulate that a little bit with your storytelling, but still, at some point when you roll those dice, it's, it's anybody's game, and that's sort of fun. I mean, that's obviously why we're all here and doing these games for years and years is that it's still exciting to us and it's still unpredictable. And uh, Cthulhu is, is great for that. I, back to your initial, what was your actual question?
4: My question is, do you see uh, if it's influenced other, now that it's been yeah. around so long, other
1: uh, tabletop other games?
5: Yeah, and, so and obviously, yeah, I do. Yeah. I
1: think it made people realize that, you know, Sandy Peterson came up with the idea in sort of 8081 of this game where you're just playing a regular person, you're up against terrible odds, and you know what, as time goes on, you're gonna get worse at it. You're gonna, you know, gonna go down and, and you, you become even more vulnerable. You find like magic tomes and so on, which, you know, they've got a lot of bad sides to. So, you know, but it must've been like, well, who's gonna to wanna to play this? <laughs> what kind of wrong-headed people are going to want to play a game where you know you're going to die and you are not you're not going to collect magic swords and run around killing things so you know hats off to him for doing that and i think you know as we look at particularly in the indie game scene and so on there's a lot of games out there that that sort of embrace that sort of downward spiral they might be kind of one-off things or or short games don't rest your head and things like that where you've got you've got uh a sort of a built-in kind of ending to the game. Yeah. And it kind of it is often a sort of downhill one. And people enjoy a bad ending. Um, yeah. You know, well, they enjoy driving their, you know, old car and crashing it and seeing it wrecked as, well, as a, you know, a PC.
5: I, I think that there's something about Cthulhu that's that's unique is that in a way it is the most noble and most heroic of games because you go into it, knowing you're going to lose like no matter how it it turns out you might not lose so badly but you're still going to ultimately lose you're going to lose your mind you're going to lose your life you're going to lose your 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 your, uh family all these things are on the table and yet you still press on why is that fun because you're doing the right thing you're doing what's good you know like it makes you feel like like being a a wizard that can shoot spells and, and turn people into donkeys, you know, like that's The thing that always strikes me about
2: Cthulhu, you, you do this, you do these things and the best you can hope for is maybe you get, you get to live out your life or maybe your kids get to live out their life and maybe you can sort of see a, some sort of future, at least for a few years for a few generations and then at least it's, you know, it's not, not completely over, you, there's a bit of time ahead, uh, the best you can maybe hope for um but equally you, you do it unsung. You you, you don't go, hey, we all saved the world. No one's gonna know what you're talking about. It's this kind of innate nobleness, the, the heroic noble, uh that the unsung hero that, you know, these are regular folks who are you know um you know, trying to make you know the best of it. Um and it goes the same for pulp, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, they can be a bit more vocal, or you know, if you want to play that kind of really high-end pulp, where they are, we have saved the world, and you shall thank us. Uh, but most of the time, people even in pulp are going to go, "What are you talking about?"
5: I think that's more relatable. Like yeah. every every person in their life, we're all going through our challenges. We're all trying to make our lives and other people's lives better, hopefully, and. You're un, it's unsung. You're, no, nobody's throwing parades for everybody. You know, that doesn't make any sense. But we all have our own battles that we're fighting in our life, and when we, you know, succeed, sometimes we succeed, and we're going to be okay for a month or maybe a few years, and then there's going to be another battle, and we have to we have to overcome that. And I think that's something everybody relates to, and that's why Call Cthulhu is so good. It's be, it just kind of notches up the stakes more than our normal lives, uh, and. And that's the beauty of this, of this game, called of Cthulhu, and I think that's why it has endured uh, 36 years? Wow!
2: Okay, we've time for one last question. Do we have one last? There we go. Okay. Uh, just a quick
4: question. In terms of maybe introducing the game Call of Cthulhu to new players or growing the game, I'm wondering what you might think would be a better uh, style for first-timers, like a, a purist or a pulp. Um, the reason I say this I'm a, I'm a school teacher in New York City, a middle school teacher, and I started a gaming club uh, after school, and I ran more of a purist kind of thing for my uh, my students, and then a, a pulp one later. And, you know, shocker, 12- and 13-year-old boys prefer Tommy Guns and, Linus, <laughs> and like my roles, but, um, <laughs> but I'm just kind of curious what you guys think, um,
2: for the
5: uninitiated, what might hook them?
2: I know what I think, but Dan, what what do you think on that? I think at the
4: very first session I ever played Call of Cthulhu, my character was killed. And it took a couple of months of my friends convincing me to go ahead and try it again. Because my character was tied to a chair and interrogated and killed. And this is entertainment. And so, yeah, then our uh, Keeper then kind of tweaked the style a little bit. Then I made an archaeologist character, and it was much more of a pulpy thing, and I've been hooked ever since. But, yeah, I do think that you have to tune things for first-timers so that way they have an expectation of fun and entertainment and not necessarily, you know, give them complete agency to automatically win. No, that's that's um, that's not Call of Cthulhu. But you do need to make sure that they have an, a uh, a fun time and and an honest interpretation of how the game is supposed to be played.
2: Can be. I mean. Um... I, th- I think it comes down to knowing your audience. You know, I mean, obviously that's not always possible. Um, you know, if you turn up to a library or a school or a game store and hey, I'm running a demo and people you never met before come in, you know, it can be a little hard, but but if you do um if you can kind of gauge gauge them, I think um I think I kind of slightly pulpy style it probably makes it a little bit more accessible first time. Um and I think that helps you then identify who's okay so you're you're clearly poor people and but you and you I'll invite you to my special game on a friday night <laughs> that kind of thing cool well, thank you for coming um uh, we' we'll we've got to end it here but um we're uh, we're here all week and um <laughs> please uh, please come and say hi uh we uh We've got the calcium stand downstairs here in the trade hall. Please come by and say hi. Uh, we're, we've got a panel at 9 o'clock uh, each of the mornings. I think in this room, actually. I think we're doing campaigns tomorrow and then uh, Cthulhu's favourite scenarios on uh, on the Sunday. So please come back and uh, join us for those. But uh, without further ado, please uh, join me in thanking our panellists uh, today. So Paul, Lynn... Uh, Dan and Chris, Uh, thank you very much. And uh, thanks for coming. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
0: Hello. Hello.